Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4, 23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the types of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. As we enter into this time of, of teaching, uh, I want to start just by saying, uh, man, I, I was in student ministry for, for 14 years, and uh, I don't think I'll ever fully leave student ministry, um, but I've seen a lot of teams, ministry teams, uh, and this, this team is, is so intentional and so incredible at, at sharing, sharing the gospel and, uh, and, and loving these students uh, in beautiful ways. Um, I believe... Uh, in all of the different positions I've had here at the church, there's no more difficult position than student ministry um, because of, of just so many of the, the raging hormones that are happening in that time and the, um, the, the change in, uh, in just the, the culture that we've experienced in the last 10 years. Um, it's, a, it's a hard world for them to, to, to live in and to grow up in. And, um, and they need people, um, sometimes need people outside of their parents that are walking alongside them and and can reaffirm some of the, the values and the truths that parents are already pouring into, the, into their kiddos. And so um, if you have a student that uh, is connected to ministry or not connected to ministry, I just, I can't tell you uh, enough how, how vital it is to have somebody walking alongside you in that. Um, and you too could be one of those people um, who walk alongside these kids um, and invest in their future um, because uh, there's, there's no, um, probably no greater ministry investment that will uh, return dividends down the road um, than pouring into these young, form uh, formable students um, in, these time, in these years. So uh, one of the things that, that, that this team does and, and, uh, is they love these students extravagantly. Um, and that's, that's kind of where we're, where we're leaning into today. Uh, we've talked about uh, this idea of being connected. And what does it mean for us as the body of Christ to be connected also to to God and also to, to one another. Uh, the, the Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church, always had this mission statement that was um, that we want to make disciples who, uh, who lead to transformation of the world. And I truly believe that that is, is who we ought to be, is um, a, a congregation, a, a nation who is making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But I love um, the way that the, the Global Methodist Church kind of drills down to help us understand what that means and how we actually practically do that. Um, and so they've set up kind of three, um, three more specific ways, areas, that we make disciples. Um, make disciples who, who worship passionately. And the last uh, couple weeks ago, uh, we, we talked about what it means to worship passionately, both corporately and individually. We're also called to make disciples who love extravagantly. Um, last week, uh, Bert talked about what it means for us to love, extravagantly, to love God extravagantly. 
to love, for, for God's love to pour out on us extravagantly as he sent his son uh, to this earth um, to, to model for us love and to, to show us the extent of his extravagant love. But also, um, what does it mean for us to be extravagant love to the world? And so uh, as we dive into that, we're going to be um, kind of looking at several different scriptures, letting scripture kind of teach for itself. Um, so if you would, um, let's go to God in prayer. Holy Spirit, would you meet us in this space? God, would you, uh, would you pour out your extravagant love on us so that we might um, in turn be extravagant love to the world? God, help us to define that a little bit more clearly today. Help us to, uh, to, to live into that. God, I believe that your Holy Spirit um, uses the word of God to speak directly and teach into our own hearts. And so Holy Spirit, meet us um, in the space between my mouth and the hearts of the people. Um, and would you, would you teach uh, in ways that I can't even begin to teach the heart of man? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. So uh, about, a, about a year, uh, actually last summer, um, my wife and I went on a, a vacation um, to North Carolina. And when we were in North Carolina, we uh, just outside of Asheville, we were in this little mountain town. Um, and so we stayed in this tiny little cottage. It was like a, just like a very ordinary space. Uh, it was uh, like, like wood, um, like a log cabin pretty much. And uh, everything, everything in the place was, was wood. There was no, I don't think there was a single steel structure in this thing. And, uh, <clears throat> and it was so quiet and quaint. And uh, you could hear like the river running uh, just outside. It was, it was awesome. It was ordinary. And, uh, and then um, the next day, we, uh, we, we went somewhere that was completely outside of ordinary. We went to the Biltmore. Anybody, anybody ever been to the Biltmore? Right? Um, dramatically different between, um, between the, the ordinary nature of this little cottage to, uh, to the extraordinary opulent nature of the Biltmore. There was a dramatic contrast between, um, between what, we, what we experienced here and what we experienced over there. When, you, when we stepped foot into the Biltmore, um, I mean, it was just... Uh, breathtaking. I mean, every room is like way bigger than it needs to be, right? Um, it's, just, it's just way too much, it almost feels like. Um, it, was, it was this, like, just every detail is intricate. Uh, the paintings on the wall are historic. Um, I mean, it is, you just see this life that just seems so, so extra, and I think, I think for, uh, for me, that contrast is the difference between love and extravagant love. See, I think, I think our world is pretty good at love. We can actually do um, love, um, you know, fairly well. Like a, a husband and wife might love, love each other, or we, we love, uh, I love the Chiefs, right? Um, go Chiefs, uh, Super Bowl coming up. Victory uh, in the bag. Um, and uh, so we, we know how to love things, right? We, we even know how to, to love our family. We even know um, how, to, how, to, how to even sacrifice sometimes for our family. We, we, the, our world understands love. 
But the reality is, is our world can't even begin to comprehend extraordinary, extravagant love that God calls us to. And so, uh, so I want to kind of dive into some scripture. I want to I show, um, show just the ways that God talks about love. Um, and as we, as we kind of open up the, the word of God, it's, it, the reason I'm kind of doing a survey of, of love in scripture is really that, that the whole Bible is really centered around this concept of love. It is, it is absolutely paramount that we understand extra, extraordinary, extravagant love because all of our faith is centered on it. If we have not love, then we don't know God. So, uh, so as we dive into, uh, we're going to start in 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Uh, 1 John chapter 4 uh, is one of, one of my favorite passages because it really talks in depth about what it means for us to, to love um, and how that's different from the love of the world. It's also uh, John Wesley's favorite passage in scripture um, is, is 1 John 4. Um, he quotes... 1 John 4, more than any other place in all, in all of Scripture because he understands the foundational nature of this, uh, of love in our world. So uh, if you would, let's dive in. 1 John 4, verse 19 through 21. He says, we love because he first loved us, he being Jesus, be, being God. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his, his brother or sister is a liar, For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Now I can do that, right? Like I I got that concept. I know how to love familiar, like that the familiar relationship. So what does he mean? What is what is he what is the, the, the writer of first John? What is what does he mean when he's talking about uh, loving your brother or sister? Is it just that familiar relationship? Or even, is it this, this, uh, this community of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? And if we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we will grasp what it means to, to love. Now, I think, um, I think there's, there's so much other scripture that, that kind of uh, builds off of this and shows us a deeper understanding of what it means to love uh, our brother and sister. In Matthew 5, uh, Jesus is, is uh, talking in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 43 through 48, he says this, You have heard that it was said, I love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Hear that. The love of God, the love of God is all-inclusive. It doesn't have partiality to those who are righteous and those who are not. The love of God is for all, regardless. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than any others? Do not even the pagans do that? But be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
See, ordinary love loves those who love you. Ordinary love gets that. Ordinary love greets our neighbor because, because we understand them, we know them, we, we're in relationship with them. But what he's defining here is perfect love. What God is setting, setting aside and what the, the global Methodist church is, is, is calling us as a body, as a congregation to, is this perfect love, this, this love that is modeled after the love of the Father. This perfect love that is given to us. Jesus further explains this in, in John chapter 13. When he's kind of closing out his ministry with his disciples, he says, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, that kind of love, the kind of love that Jesus gave to each one of us, is the same kind of love that we are called to give to, to our brothers and sisters. And our brothers and sisters is not exclusive to those who are sitting in this room, not exclusive to the, the neighbor next door that you get along with or somebody that you uh, have, uh, have things in common with. No, it is even your enemy, even the one that persecutes you, the righteous and the unrighteous. We are to have that same kind of sacrificial love for our brothers and sisters as Christ has for us. Not just the love that loves when it's convenient, not just the love that loves when it's, uh, when it's familiar, but a love that would even go to the cross, a love that would sacrifice um, to, that, to that deep extent. Verse 35 says, and by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, the thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world is how we love. That's what this passage says. The thing that distinguishes you from, from everybody else who understands love, from the rest of the world that gets what it means to, to, to even passionately pursue something because you love it so much. We love, the world love, knows how to love money and pursue it, don't they? But the difference, the difference between the rest of the world and us is extraordinary, extravagant love. Because the world cannot, they cannot understand, they cannot know extraordinary, extravagant love because they don't know God. Because God is the absolute source of all of our love. He is the source of extravagant love. He is the source of sacrificial love. He is the source of all of it. And so if, if the world doesn't know God, they cannot, as much as they might try, they cannot ever love the same way because love comes from God. It is the source of all of our love. And this, friends, is how we are called to be distinguished from the rest of the world is in our extravagant love, our extravagant, all-inclusive love. So as, uh, as, as it kind of typically goes, um, as I was kind of processing this information and, and doing kind of a survey all throughout scripture about, 
the, the, way, the things that Jesus talks about love and the ways that he talks about it. And, and it's extensive because I think, it, I think the word love is used like 253 times in the New Testament alone. Um, something like 850 times throughout all of scripture. One could say that it is the central theme of all of the Bible is love. God's love for us and his call for us to love one another. <clears throat> and so I was processing through that and saying, you know, what, God, what do you have... How do you want to wrap this up? How do you want to call this church into, into action? I mean, this, this idea of loving extravagantly is it's kind of ethereal, right? It's kind of theoretical. It's kind of out there. It's kind of um, something that we may try to do, but it's, it's hard to kind of put, put meat on the bones of it. And we were at a at conference, and, um, and I think God really kind of spoke this into me um, we were, this last, last weekend, uh, Jeremy, me, and S- me, Stacy, Sarah, um, and Bert were all at, uh, at, at the first ever annual conference, and it was um, just an absolute beautiful experience. Um, there was a unity in the room that was, um, it was, it was tangible. It was, um, the spirit was moving in, in ways that I have never seen at conference. It was everything that conference ought to be, and, and nothing like conference has ever been. Um, there was, there was a, um, just a joy in the room. So much, uh, so much so that, that people were, were being moved by the Spirit. I mean, it was, there was a, a, at our opening worship, um, they called people to the altar to, to confess. They called people to the altar for healing. They called people to the altar to, um, to, to receive prayer. And I mean, there were, um, it, it probably lasted 30 minutes um, of people just coming to the altar, like stacks, like 20 deep, just ready to receive prayer, um, talking to people um, who, were, who were giving prayer. They couldn't, they, they couldn't pull people in. They, they'd be praying over somebody and be like, hey, we need you to pray for more people. Can you pray for somebody else, right? And so it was this chain reaction of people going out and praying for people deep in the line and it was just this, this ministering of, of spirits united. It was, a, it was impactful and, and powerful and, um, to see the direction, um, the spirit-filled direction of the Global Methodist Church. But one of the pastors gave a, a message um, that kind of wrapped up our, our time together. And he taught out of, uh, out of Mark chapter 2, 1 through 5. And I think this is um, a profound word for us uh, in Scripture. It says this, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing him a paralyzed man. They carried carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the, the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, there's a lot of things that we could, we could uh, a lot of illustrations, a lot of things that we could, could bring about in this message. We could talk about the faith of these, these men. We could talk about um, the healing power of Jesus we could talk, talk about the, the, the way that Jesus stopped in the middle of his, of his preaching the word to meet the needs of this man. 
But what, what I want to focus on is these four guys. These four men that, that saw this paralyzed man and they offered him help. You see, in that culture, the, a paralyzed person is, is an outcast in society. Unless they have family um, that, are, that is going to watch after them, there's, there's really no social service set up for them to, to receive assistance or, or get help or get food even. So this man would, would have been a beggar. Uh, we see all throughout the New Testament, we see uh, Jesus healing a blind beggar because he can't, he can't eat any other way than to, to beg for somebody to give alms to the poor. We see the, the, the crippled paralytic on the side of the, the pools of Bethesda waiting for the bubbles to, to rise so that he can be healed by this, this magical being. But these four guys, they saw this man paralyzed and, in the, and they saw the goodness of Jesus. They saw the miracles that Jesus had done. They knew that he was, that he was able to heal this man. And so they, they went out of their way, out of their way to be extravagant love. We don't even know that these men knew that guy. It doesn't even say that they're friends of this guy. We, we might make inferences, but Mark in his gospel, he doesn't want you to jump to, to, to knowing that they're friends because if he would have, if, if he wanted you to, to think that they were friends, he would have said it. So these are just, just four people who recognized a, a, a broken man and they went out of their way with extravagant love to pick him up, to take him on top of the roof and to lower him down. That's no, no ordinary effort. I know uh, my wife and I were packing up Christmas the other day and, uh, and we we're trying to get our Christmas tree into the attic and we, we both about died. <laughs> in the process. I mean, it's no simple task to get something up a flight of stairs, let alone a man on a mat. Who knows how, what, what kind of shape this mat is in if he's been laying on it for, for who knows how long. Friends, I, I'm really good at giving extraordinary love when, um, when it's convenient. I'm, I'm pretty good at at, at extraordinary love when I have time to do it. But if I'm being honest, oftentimes I don't have time. Oftentimes I don't have time going from one meeting to the next, from one thing to the other. Even if it's good things, I don't have time to, to stop and have a conversation sometimes. I definitely don't have time to, to, to take him to the feet of Jesus. We've so scheduled our lives in busyness that it makes it very inconvenient and very difficult to show extravagant love. But friends, that's exactly what God is calling us to do. Not to busy our lives or busy our time, but to, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to model the same love that Christ has for us to the world. I'm gonna close with this. Um, I was challenged recently uh, as I was praying, uh, praying through this book um, called Prayer. Um, and it, it has these really simple 
but challenging prayers. Um, and so I've, I've been kind of writing, uh, I write a devotional each week in the Mission, Mission Weekly. Um, and uh, recently I've been writing about these prayers. And this one kind of stood out to me. It says, God, may I cease to be annoyed that others are not as I wish they were since I am not as I wish I was. Friends, there are, um, it's really easy to pass somebody by or to, to neglect someone or to neglect an opportunity to love because, because that person is, has wronged us, because that person is, is broken, because that person is, um, has been caught in, in sin or caught in addiction. We place this judgment on them because they're not the way they're supposed to be. And therefore, I'm not going to help. Therefore, I'm not going to go out of my way. If they're not ready, if they're not willing to, to, to fix themselves, then, what, then it's just going to be wasted energy. But friends, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not who I am meant to be. I'm a broken individual, but thanks be to God that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. So church, um, as we come to the table for communion, and I'm gonna welcome the band to come back up. As we come to the table for communion, I think Christ is calling us to extraordinary, extravagant love. Not the love that the world gives that looks a lot like that, that simple little cottage. But what if, what if the love that, that God is calling us to is, is so intricate and so extravagant and so extra that it just blows people away when they, when they experience and when they see it? That it changes the way that they understand the love and the character of God? So church, God is calling us to be disciples of Jesus Christ who worship passionately, who love extravagantly and witness boldly. Church, I challenge you, what does it look like for you to go out of your way to love extravagantly this week, even if the person doesn't deserve it? So as we come to the table today, we are reminded, we are reminded of the love of God. This is this is extravagant love. What Christ did for us on the cross is the model of what extravagant love means. Not simple, but elaborate. So when Christ met with his disciples, he broke bread, and some of them were righteous and some of them were not. Actually, none of them were righteous. No, not one. Yet he loved them. He broke bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He rose it and he gave thanks. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and eat, take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. So Holy Spirit, would you pour out on us? Would you pour out on these elements? these common elements of bread and cup, and would you make them so much more than that for us? God, would you make them the body and the blood of Christ? 
so that we might be the body of Christ, redeemed by the blood and sent out into the world to be agents of this extravagant, extraordinary love. God, we honor you in the midst of this time. God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We confess that at times we have not loved your, your brothers and our brothers and sisters. But God, you meet us here with a cup of forgiveness and you call us forward. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we take communion today, um, you don't have to be Methodist in order to take communion. This is not a Methodist table. This is a table that is open for all. All that we ask is you consider seriously the call of Christ. So as our communion servers are getting set up, we'll have uh, two stations back in the back and two stations in the forward. We'll take communion by attention, which means just, just hold your hands out and receive. Receive the love of God. We don't take the love of God from God. We receive it. And he freely gives. And so as you take of, as you receive the, the love of God, um, know that, that he's, he is good to forgive anything that we have done. And he meets us here at the table. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come, the table is set.